Hey, this is Pastor Michael Petit from Calvary Chapel, Divine, Texas. Would really like to thank you for taking time to check out our podcast, our Sunday sermons, and our Wednesday night Bible studies. You can always share this, download it, or even find it on Spotify, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, SoundCloud, and pretty much wherever you can find a podcast. You can also find out about our church service times. We have our Sunday service at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night Bible study at 7 p.m. We're located in the Market Media Building, which is actually hashtag Divine Color Wall. It's located at 203 East College Avenue, Sweet C in Divine, Texas. Plus, if you need to get any other information from the church, you can do all of this at our church website at calvarydivine.org. That's calvarydivine.org. Here's Pastor Michael Petit. Well, welcome to, to Calvary Chapel Divine. Uh, I'm Pastor Michael Petit. Um, I guess one of the things I need to just, before we dive into Nehemiah chapter 2, uh, we'll be in Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 9 through 20. Uh, we'll probably close up the, the chapter tonight. And, uh, and then we have Easter service coming up this Sunday at 10 a.m. And so we hope that you can make it out. Uh, if you're here in Divine or Natalia or Lytle or, or Hondo or even Casterville, wherever you're at, we, we hope that you can uh, come out and pay a visit. And a lot of times people will show up for Easter service. So it's the only time of year they come. Is either Christmas or Easter. I know that the only time I ever showed up at church was for midnight mass, and I that's back when I was a Catholic, and I, I was not happy even then when I was coming in and all. But then, you know, I gave my life to the Lord, and all that stuff changed. And um, but never underestimate inviting somebody to church because I think sometimes we automatically assume they're going to tell us no. Uh, just keep asking them. You know, and eventually they may just come, so you'll stop asking. But you know, God, God can do a mighty work just in somebody who's attending church, and you invite them to come to your church. So, so hopefully you do that. What we are at Calvary Chapel, I think I was asked the question, what, why, what, why are we here? Um, we are a Calvary Chapel uh, that is uh, casual, as you can tell by my attire today. Uh, we come in casually come in uh and and we meet in a common place we're actually so first off i want these aren't mine (laughs) so i get i get more information about these pictures than i do anything on online people will ask questions about this stuff so these are not mine these are actually belong to the market media building we actually uh uh lease out the space twice a week so we're here on wednesday nights at 7 p.m and we're here on Sunday at 10 a.m. And so uh, we're we got plenty of parking, and it, it's a nice little facility. We got a, we got even got tables, so if you want to take notes and stuff like that, so it's a, a nice little building. And uh, so we are a casual church that meets in a common place. And the last part of that is is two things: is that we're for it's for everyone. It's for everyone, uh, and we just simply teach the whole Bible. That's it. And, and I would love to tell you, I mean, one of the things that I like is just to be able to get into the Scriptures and have something that you can apply in your life um, and, and be able to take something from the, the teaching and, and apply it in your life. And so, uh, so we're just a, a simple church, and uh, we're casual. We meet in a common area, and it's for everybody. And so if you are looking for a place to come for Easter, we invite you. You've been invited, so uh, please come. And at the same time, um, you know, if you're watching this online, we had somebody from Poland whose Calvary Chapel used to live in Texas. They are missionaries now, so we are praying for you. And thank you for, for watching the service. And, um, and so if you're watching online, thank you for watching. And so let's go ahead and get into tonight's teaching. I entitled it, God is with us. Let us rise up and build. God is with us. Let us rise up and build. And so we'll be in Nehemiah chapter 2, and we'll try to finish the rest of the chapter tonight, verses 9 through 20. Let's pray. Uh, Father God, we thank you so much for tonight. We thank you for this building. We thank you for uh, Marcus and his family. We pray that you just continue to bless them, bless this city, um, and, and be with our mayor, be with, uh, uh, with our, our county judges and our city council. And, and we pray that, that you would just bring unity and peace uh, to 
uh, to the city of Divine. Uh, we thank you so much for allowing us to be here, Lord. It's, it's by your hand that you've allowed this door to open. And so we pray that you bless uh, the business here for Marcus and the family. And uh, we also pray that you would bless this church, Lord. It's your church. And uh, we thank you, Lord, for uh, not only having, uh, just having a, a chance to have fellowship this evening, but also to have uh, friends here at church. And we just thank you for that, Lord. And we just pray for them and lift them up as well. Uh, I pray for you, if, if whatever you're going through tonight, uh, that hopefully there'll be something in the Word that will help you, that will strengthen you, uh, that will guide you, direct you, and, uh, and that you could apply in your life. I thank you so much, and we just ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so last week we left off in Nehemiah, and, and it, we left off uh, with King Artaxerxes allowing Nehemiah to go. And so he gives him a decree, a letter, uh, so he can leave. And in verse 8 of Nehemiah chapter 2, it says, In a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give timber to make beams for the gates and of the fortress of the temple and of the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked. And this is very important. For the good hand of God was upon me. The good hand of God was upon me. Psalm 37, verse 23 through 24 says this, The steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. And so Nehemiah was being led by the Lord. And, and you know, that's one of the things. It's like if we love the Lord, we want to be guided by his steps. And, and that means for every event, every circumstance that we have in our life, whether it's at home, at work, or at study, or whatever we're doing, we want to be able to be guided by the Lord. And the other part of that is, too, is that even when we stumble, God is there to help us up. There's my, that my train, man. That's my train that, that kept me. I was in traffic in Lacoste, which is like crazy. You know, it shouldn't happen. But... Uh, but it's one of those things, just to remember that even as you stumble along, there it is. I love when the horn comes through. Uh, and so it, it, he, he's not going to kick you out. I think sometimes people fall and they think, okay, well, it's over. I'm, not, I'm done. Like, God's not going to forgive me. All you have to do is repent and God's hand is there to help you up and get you moving again. And so I love, you know, when I think about the, the Lord's hand, you can look at it this way. is like, what did Peter cry out? Lord, save me. And, and what, did, what did the Lord do? <laughs> Jesus stretched forth His hand and pulled Peter up out of the water in Matthew chapter 14, verse 30. We talked about the, the triumphal entry this week and we talked about the, uh, the unbroken donkey. And what did Jesus do? He controlled the animal with His strong hand. It's the hand of Jesus that is, is strong, but it's the same hands that are scarred. It's the same hands that have the nails driven through them as He paid the, the price for our sin, the penalty for our sin. And so when we look at, at, at this, one of the things I, I just love is like we need to remember that God's hand, if you're a, a follower of Christ, God's hand is, is on you. You don't want to be disobedient. It's, it's you want to follow God's hand and have that, uh, that guidance in your life. And we have that through the Holy Spirit. You know, David also talked about it in Psalm 63, 8. He says, My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. And that was at the time when everybody was trying to kill him. Now we see, remember now, he prayed for four months. And so as we get into Nehemiah, he prayed for four months. And he's going to spend about three months in travel to get to Jerusalem. He'll spend about three months in travel. And so it's only going to take 52 days for the wall to be built. And so Nehemiah was a planner. And, and so was, you know, Ezra had the good hand of God upon him as well. You know, in Ezra chapter 7, verse 9, it says, For the first day of the first month he began to go up to Babylonia. And on the first day of the fifth month he came to Jerusalem, for the good hand of his God was on him. So we see Ezra and Nehemiah. This was something, remember we talked about there's no plan B or C. There's only been one plan, Jesus Christ. And God is orchestrating all of this at this time, at God's perfect timing. 
So we see in verse 9, it says, Then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river and gave them the king's letter. Now the king had sent me, with my, uh, sent me officers of the army and horsemen. So the letters would have been like, for us, if we try to figure that out, letters would be like passports. So that's the easiest way for... So in order for him to pass through these areas, and I love the fact that he has armies of horsemen, ain't nobody going to mess with him. He's coming, he's coming with the king's letter, right? And, and so he's bringing all this material too. Remember he chopped all that stuff down in the king's forest to have the best material to bring to build the wall in Jerusalem. And so nobody's going to hijack his stuff, so to say, because he's covered with the king's officers and the army and the horsemen. And we think about when Jesus sent his disciples out to minister, he gave them the same type of authority. They needed to do a job and he promised to meet their every need. We look at Matthew chapter 10. Matthew 10 verse 5, it says, The twelve Jesus sent out instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of God, uh, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the leopards, cast out demons. You receive without paying, give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your, money, uh, for your journey or two tunics, or, or, or sandals, or, or a staff for the laborer deserves his food. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it, and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if, you ha if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it's not worthy, let your peace return to it. And if anyone will not receive you, or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet, when you leave that house or town, truly I say to you, it would be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. And we see the disciples being sent out, and they were sent out with all authority. The same authority that we have in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, it says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of age. So here we have Nehemiah. He's a man of integrity, and, and a man that is a planner. And he has God's calling on his life. And what I love is when he goes and, and has his first encounter, he's going to have to deal with uh, some opposition right off the bat. And, and, and that's going to be tough because he has Sam Ballot and, and Tobiah waiting on him. But one thing I do love about Nehemiah is his integrity. And it reminds me, if anybody's ever seen, I, before Christ, I watched a movie called the, the Legend of Bagger Vance. And it's a silly movie. But one of the things that I remember in it is there's a scene where Bobby Jones and Walter Hagen and... and I want to say Juna was the last name. I can't remember. It all happened in Georgia. And it was a, a match that they had after the Depression to try to bring people to Savannah because Savannah was hurting so badly. But one of the things that happened in that match is when Juna hit the ball and he went up to go check his ball, the ball rolled. And the little kid that was with him said, Nobody saw it, Mr. Juna. You don't have to tell nobody. And Junah was a man of integrity. Man, he was a man that won, I believe, the Medal of Honor. Or, or one of those awards, Bronze Star, one of them. And, and, and the guy comes over, and even Walter Hagen goes, you know, the, the, maybe the light's playing tricks on you, because it was dusk. Maybe the light's playing tri tricks on you. It, maybe you thought it moved. Kind of giving him an out, Right? But Nehemiah is not that way either. Nehemiah is a man of integrity, so Nehemiah is gonna, he's gonna do what he's supposed to do by the rules that God has set for him. And and in the movie, Bobby Jones comes up and he says, "No, it moved. It was here, and it was here." That's why I love golf. You want to know if somebody's honest, play golf with them. Because it's the only sport that you have to take a penalty on yourself. You have to call it for yourself. A lot of people will scoot the ball or, or you know, just like, you know, Walter Hagen, maybe the, the light was playing with you. 
But Judah says, he goes, the ball was here, it moved here. He took the, the he could have won the match. But we have to be men of integrity, just like Nehemiah. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, it says, an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Right? We should be those that, that compete according to the rules. But we're going to find two people that you're going to see through the rest of the book of Nehemiah that are, are going to be a thorn in Nehemiah's side. And they're two people that unfortunately um, that the enemy has put in place. And, and Nehemiah will have to deal with these men with integrity, with godly character. We see in verse 10 it says, But when Samballot the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant heard this, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. You know, I, I read this verse this week and I thought, this is happening today. You know, we want to go and give money to the Palestinians and they want to kill them. And it's like, we're supposed to be seeking the welfare of Jerusalem. We're supposed to be seeking the welfare of the people of Israel. They're God's nation, God's people. When we see these two men, you wonder, well, who are the Ammonites, right? What is an Horon, uh, Horonite? Guess what? Those are Lot's daughters. So when Lot got his, uh, when the daughters got his, uh, Lot drunk, they wanted to make sure they had children. And these are the result of it. So when you see Tobiah and Samballot, that's what it is. They're, they're actually, the, the older daughter had a son named Moab, which y'all probably are familiar with. And the young, younger uh, gave birth to Benamin, which was the Ammonites. And they have caused problems for the nation of Israel to this day. To this day, they still cause problems. And, and, and in the time of Moses, when Moses was in the fertile plains of the Jordan Valley, they were occupied. They, who, who didn't let them pass? The Amorites, the Ammonites, and the Moabites. When, they, when they, Israel left Egypt and the Ammonites refused to assist them in any way, what did God do? He punished them. The Ammonites also worshipped pagan gods. They worshipped Molech and, and, and Milech. And the Horonites and the Ammonites were two of the people groups that God had driven from the promised land. And so when the Israelites are, are taken out of the promised land, who comes? Samballot and Tobiah to be governors. Right? And they served under the king of Persia. Now I know some of this is probably, you're like, why are we, I just want you to have background. I want you to kind of know what's going on here. There's a history here. So when we see this people, they've been a problem in the side of Israel for, till this day. To this day. The Ammonites were actually from the Jordan River and Geshem, who we're going to find out, Geshem the Arab is going to show up too here in these verses. And he's actually from the region south of Judah. And so uh, we see these two men were angry. They're angry that they came for the people of Israel. And see, sometimes we have to stand for what's right and get ready because the enemy is going to rage when, when somebody's coming to do something godly. It's going to happen. We can look and, and, and even when Jesus was healing someone, the, the, they got angry with Him uh, in the synagogue. We look at Luke chapter 13, verses 12 and 14. Uh, in Luke 13, it says, When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid hands on her, and immediately she was made straight. And she glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue, indigent, uh, because Jesus, which is angry, uh, Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, There are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, and not on the Sabbath. So the enemy uses... This man, who's actually one of the leaders, and, and uses it to rage against Jesus for doing a healing. And this is the same thing that's going to happen to us when we do, go out to do God's work. 
In 2 Corinthians 10, verses uh, 10 and 11, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10 and 11, it says, Any one of you who you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what have I forgiven? If I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ. But here's the part. So that when we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. Satan wants to create disunity. Do you think that's happening in the United States? Yeah. It's happening here in this, in this city. There's a, mayor, uh, a mayor's race that's gotten ugly. And, and instead of the city council and, and the mayors trying to treat each other with, with honor and dignity, they're, they've gotten in the mud. That's, that's Satan at work. He wants to create disunity. These two men are wicked. And God is sending Nehemiah right into the middle of it. But what do we need to remember? Whose hand is on Nehemiah? God's. They're not coming against Nehemiah. So when you're, when you're standing up for the Lord, they're not coming against you. They're coming against God. They're coming against God. And that's the thing that we need to remember. It, dis, it displeased them greatly. And it shows that their hearts was against God. They were against God. And, and that's the question we have to, to ask ourselves. Do we care about the welfare of God's people? Would we actually stop what we're doing to pray for somebody? To try to help somebody? Do we care about the welfare of God's people? We should. And we should, we should stand with Israel. That's something that... that a nation that turns against Israel is a nation that's on a, on a downward spiral. We need to be praying for our nation that we continue uh, to help God's people. Nehemiah 11, uh, 2 verse 11 says, So I went to Jerusalem and I was there three days. And then I arose in the night and I and a few men with me. And I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me but... Uh, the one which I wrote. And so even we see Ezra rested in Ezra chapter 8, verses 32. It must have been a hard trip because Ezra rested. It was in Ezra 32, it says, We came to Jerusalem and there we remained for three days. Is it important for us to rest? Yeah. It is. Even as, as someone myself, I'm already planning my trip to Corpus. And I'll, I'm going to take a break. It's, it's got to happen. I have to do that. I don't want to get into the Martha thing. You know, the Mary and Martha thing. We, we need to take rest. Jesus took rest. In Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42, it says, Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house, and she was a sister called Mary, had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do, uh, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to he uh, then to help me. But the Lord answered, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. And see, what we need to remember is sometimes when we get into serving and where we're tired is when our flesh comes out. I have to rest. It's, that's something that I need to do. I still have a family I have to serve and a wife that needs me. And so I, I love when people come to me with ideas of stuff, but I can't do all of them because I'm just one person. And so it requires people to step up and help out and serve. That's what, I, that's what makes the church the church. Uh, Jesus tells his disciples to rest, right? In Mark chapter 6, verse 31. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and had, they had no leisure even to eat. They were being pulled from. And Jesus did what? You need to go off to a desolate place, catch your breath, get refreshed. You know, it's time for rest, it's time to refresh, it's time to restore it, and guess what? You're going to rebuild. And so ministry will always be here, until, not unless the rapture happens. You know, ministry's not going anywhere. 
You need to take time to rest. As leaders and pastors, we need that every now and then to, 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 to rest. And you need it too. So moms, you need it. Wives, you need it. I know my wife, she cooks and does all that. It's like she needs rest. She needs rest. And we need to, we need to make sure we do that. In verse 13, it says, I went out by night by the valley gate to the dragon spring and to the dung gate. And I inspected the walls of the Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. Now one thing we need to do is, is understand that he goes out to go inspect by himself at night. Now why does he do that? A couple reasons. One, the enemy's not... So Sam, Ballin, and Tobiah have no clue. Two, if the city knows, the, the leaders in the city, what happens? People start chatter. Right? And they'll end up getting back to Sam Bowden and Tobiah. So he goes out and does this on his own. He's the planner. This is how he is. He wants to inspect it firsthand. Remember, he had his brother come to him and say, Hey, the walls are burnt down. He's only heard it. But now he's seeing it for the first time, firsthand. And so sometimes it's easy for us to think we have it all planned out until you actually get here. I can tell you, I thought. We had everything planned out for divine until we got here. And we made adjustments and we've had to do little things. You've got to pivot and adjust. And that's part of walking with the Lord. Things aren't always going to go the way that you think they need to go. They're going to go the way that God wants them to go. And so we need to be ready to, to be able to make those pivots and adjustments when we need to. And we see in verse 14, it says, Then I went on the th- uh, to the fountain gate in the king's pool but there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass so he's this is how bad the destruction is he can't pass in that gate he has to get off the animal and he has to go under it under the bridge but now he's seeing how bad the destruction is firsthand and it says that i went up in the va- I went up in the night by the valley and inspected the wall and i turned back and I entered by the valley gate and so returned. And so Nehemiah has done a complete inspection of the wall. And, and so everything that he's planning, he's, he's figuring this out before he gets started, right? Because he's going to have people step up and serve and he's going to know exactly where they need to be working at, what they need to be doing. But also, he's not wanting to do this halfway. He's going to be all in when he does this as a ministry. And see, when we, when we do things halfway, we're in our flesh. We're not a, we're stepping out in faith. We're, we're doing it because we're just trying to get it done. And we have to be very careful with that. It's like even we went through a process to try to record. And if you saw what we're recording on, it doesn't make any sense, but it works. But we wanted to make sure you could hear us and you could see us and it, it looked all right. Besides these two pictures, everything's fine. I, I get, you know, like I said, they want to know what dealership this is. <laughs> and they want to know that's, you know, what that picture is. That's the newspaper back in the day. And, and that's the, one of the ads. But, you know, at the end of the day, we wanted to make sure it was done good. You know, so it looked good. You could hear it. Uh, because it's not good on a video if you can't hear what the person's teaching. And so we wanted to make sure it was done properly. We, 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 as we step out in faith, we want to be led by the Holy Spirit. And we want to do everything we do in word and deed. In Colossians 3, verse 17, I love that verse because it says, And whatever you do, in word and deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to, the God, to God the Father through Him. So whatever you do, whatever you do, in word and deed. And that covers a lot. That's everything, right? And so we need to be mindful, like when we step out to do something for the Lord, we need to be mindful to understand that we're, we're called to do it, and we need to step and be led by the Spirit and, and take that step of faith and do it, but don't do it halfway. Right? Don't do it halfway. In verse 16, it says, And the officials did not know where I had gone. So he went by himself. Nobody knew he was going or what I was doing. He didn't tell nobody. He worked for a king. Can you imagine the chatter that happened? in the? Just think about the White House, how much chatter happened. Think about your church, 
how much chatter happens in the church sometimes. So he's keeping it all to himself because he's like, I need to, I need to, I want to hear from God what I need to do. I, I, that's what I got from this. It's like he went by himself at night, and it's just him and God. And he's going to be directed on what he's supposed to do. And that's what I, that's what I got from it. I love that because at the end of the day, we need that time with the Lord. Before we step out into faith, we need to be in prayer. We need to be seeking God's Word. We need to be one-on-one with the Lord. And the officials did not know where he had gone and what he was doing. And I had not told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were to do the work. So he understood that there was opposition. And he was going to wait and, and not say anything because he's like, I'm, I already know the enemy's here. I'm going to wait. I'm gonna, me and God are going to get together and, and we'll figure out what we need to do and then I'll let the leaders know how we're going to do this. right? And so we, we see that the reason why when we get to chapter 13, verse 4, there's a reason why he doesn't let the leaders know. And you see, uh, it says, Now before this, Elishab, uh, the priest who was appointed over the chambers of the house of our God, who was related to who? Tobiah. They had mixed marriages. And so you had one of the Jewish leaders married to Tobiah. Uh, and so you had this issue that was happening. So word and chatter would have got back to Sam Bowden and Tobiah exactly what he was doing. So that's why he didn't say anything. In 17 it says, Then I said to them, You see the trouble we are in. I love that. He doesn't say, You see the trouble I'm in. He's like, you see the trouble we are in, right? How Jerusalem lies in ruins with the gates burned. Come let us build the walls of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. Approach. And, and, and there's three reasons we need to do the work. Is, and one of the reasons he gives is the city's in ruin. This is God's city. It's dishonoring God for the city to be broken. You should be broken because... Look at the city, right? The Jews had gotten used to the bad situation. And, and, and so we need to be careful. We can get content with things and we don't want to rock the boat. And, and we think, well, you know what? We've tried that before. It didn't work. And we don't do it. And Revelation chapter, 13, uh, chapter 3 verses 15 and 16 covers this real instantly because what happens is the Jews became lukewarm. I know your works. You were neither cold nor hot. What uh, would they uh, either, uh, would that you either cold or hot? So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. And so he's saying, look, You've been exposed to this sin so long because this is sin for this city to look the way it looks. The stench of it, it's almost like when you watch the show Hoarders. That's a show that just, oh my God, it's hard to watch sometimes because you have people that are in the house and they'll have multiple, probably 30, 40 cats and they can't even, there are little paths that are made so they can get to the areas they need to get to the house because there's so much trash piled up and feces and just the mess. And people walk into it and they get sick because of the smell. They have to walk out. But the person living there doesn't bother them. They've gotten used to the stench. That's what the sin is. That's what happens to sin in our life when it starts to get piled up. We get used to it when we don't deal with it. We can't sit in it day after day. And so we can't, we can't get used to our sin. The Israelites got used to seeing the walls falling. And let me tell you something. The United States is getting used to the stench of their sin. And if we don't respond, and Christians have to stop being numb to the problem and act like they have no interest That's what the devil wants. He wants you to think that you can't do anything. He wants you to get used to the stench of the sin. We heard something that was awesome by Michael, uh, Pastor Mike McIntosh this week. 
The one thing that we need to remember is the devil's on borrowed time. Like, if you've given your life to Christ, you have eternity. The devil, he has an expiration date. And that's why you see the things that are happening in this country because the devil's throwing everything but the kitchen sink at us at this point. Because he's that desperate. We see the mess that happened in 2020 where, where we used COVID to isolate people, to shut down churches, to, to take kids out of schools. Shortage at grocery stores. That's the same stuff we did in the military with our POWs. We would isolate them. Limit their food. Not allow them to have human contact. And we're doing the same thing. We did that all 2020 and they're trying to do it again in 2021 because Paris just shut down again. Makes no sense. Makes no sense. Let's see, we're getting used to the stench of the sin. And we watched a video this week of a young man who's trying to sell Satan's shoes as he has a demonic video of, of a Satanist. Same person that did Old Town Road that your kids dance to. They show him at multiple schools with kids. And he says, it's, hey, it's not me. You should have listened to the words in the song. It's about adultery and, and getting lit. And you, you're the ones who let your kids. That's what the devil does. You're over there. You're not paying attention to what your kids are doing. And you're getting used to the stench of the sin. There was a Pantene commercial this week that came out for shampoo. And it's a gay couple of two lesbian women and a 10-year-old boy who's decided he's coming out as transgender. And what's really sad about the video is the mother says, or I guess she's the mother, the mother says this, this was the first day she, which is a he, saw, saw, him, saw himself for the first time. But she said she saw herself for the first time. But she goes, and this was the first day I saw her. This kid's 11 years old. What has she been looking at this whole time? Was the kid not right that you had to make him into a woman? And this is the stench of America right now. And the church needs to stand up. We have to understand that God has already given us the victory. But we have to stand up. That's what we're here to do. We share truth. I'm not going to sit and tell you. I mean, I can read the verses to you in Leviticus 20.13. You can be mad at me all you want, but it's God's word that you need to be angry at. Because it tells you if a man lies with a, with a male as a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. Thus shall surely be put to death. Their blood is upon them. In Romans chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, because I hear this all the time, people will tell me, well, that was the Old Testament. But Jesus dealt with it when he talked about marriage and he said it was a man and a woman. And see, you don't want to deal with that. It tells you in Romans chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, we have to understand the stench that's happening in America right now. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations to those that are contrary to their nature. And the men likewise gave up their relations with women, and they were consumed with passion for one another, and men committing sin. It's the stench of sin. Is there, is there a stench of sin and divine? I don't know. I'm sure. There's a stench in San Antonio. We get used to it. and We can get used to it. As Christians, like when I read that verse to you, you may get angry at me, but you're not getting angry at me. You're coming against God. That's God's Word. You can be mad all day long, but that's God's Word. It's what are you going to do with it? Are you going to be obedient to it or disobedient? Are you going to sit in the stench of the sin? Or are you going to actually repent of the sin? Can't get used to seeing the walls of the city burned up. That's what Nehemiah is saying. It's like we can't get used to this. 
And he says in verse 18, he says, And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for, the God, uh, for good, and also of the words that the king had spoken to me, and said, Let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. What a great verse. What a great verse. The hand of God, the hand of my God, that had been upon me for good. For good. We're going to rise up and we're going to build. Second reason we need to do the work is because we need the work of God to be happening. So we see God moving in a wonderful way and that should be what should be happening in the church. The church should be working within the community. Building relationships. Encouraging. And he says even the king is backing us up. Nehemiah can't build the wall by himself. He, he, He can't do it. He needs help. Just like I love being here at this church, but we're going to need help at some point. If it starts to grow, we need help. In Acts chapter 6, verse 2, verses 3, it says, The twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out among you seven of good repute for the uh, full of spirit and wisdom whom we will appoint to this duty. So it shows you the importance of the pastor being focused on the Word. When a pastor is not preaching the Word and his focus is taken elsewhere, it hurts the congregation. The pastor needs to be all in on the Word. And the pastor that I served, that's how he was. He spent time, much time in God's Word. We see Moses. This is his father-in-law comes and he tells him, Hey bro, you've got to fix this or you're gonna, this is going to kill you. Right? In Exodus chapter 18, verses 17 and 18, Moses' father-in-law said to him, What you're doing is not good. You and the people will, <laughs> with you will certainly wear yourselves out. For the thing is too heavy for you and you're not able to do it alone. We're called to serve in our church. We're called to serve in our community. And honestly, we have to expect to have opposition. We're a church in America right now. But what we shouldn't have is complaining and rumbling in the church. Right? That happens. But we shouldn't have it happen. We should be all in and when we serve and we should be doing it with all our mind. Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 9, verse 10 says, Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. And we see the last reason here. Uh, we see in verse 19 it says, But then, when, but when Samballot and the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonites served with Geshem, so now here's Geshem. So now he's, it's funny how the enemy brings more people. Right? Started with two, but now there's three. So now we have Geshem the Arab heard of it. Right? So he heard of it. They jeered at us and despised us and said, What is this thing you are doing? You're rebelling against the king. So what did he have when we first talked about it? He had what? A decree. He had a letter. And yet, what are they doing? They're trying to create division immediately. Trying to say, What you're doing is against the king. It wasn't against the king. He was sent with the king's blessing. But they're trying to turn the crowd against him. And see, the last reason we need to do the work is now because people are going to attack regardless. Right? The enemy's always going to have somebody in place. And, and, and you know, they, they laughed at us as they jeered, right? And Satan will always make people think you're doing what is against the world. Right? Uh, Satan will make it seem like you're old-fashioned because you think of traditional marriage. Or you believe in creation. Or you don't agree with transgender. They laugh at that. That's all the enemy. 
In Luke chapter 6, verses 27, it says, Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Those who let the present age fill them with experience spiritually lack the age to come. The devil is boldly coming out and creating chaos right now. I saw it today in, in Congress Jerry Nadler. Uh, we had a congressman from Florida actually get up and read the Word of God on the floor. Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 5. A woman shall not wear a man's garment, nor shall a man put on a woman's cloak, for whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord your God. Now what, it, what, what is being talked about here, it's not just clothes. It's being talked about the gender distinctions. That, that's God's design. The gender confusion that exists in the culture is clear rejection of God's good design. And the culture is telling you because this is the new bill of equality that they're trying to pass. They're going to allow your kids, elementary kids, to choose whether or not they're going to be male or female and actually even have the medicine and do all the stuff. And where are the Christians at saying, no, this Christian stood in the Congress and read the Word of God. And what does Jerry Nadler say? Jerry Nadler comes out and he, he says, what any congressman described as God's will is no interest of this Congress. So the God of your fathers, His will, not at this Congress. Not of this Congress. It's of no interest to this Congress. Little Jerry Nadler said that. Why do I bring that up? Because when you stand like Nehemiah, for the Word of God, you're going to be revolutionary. It's the truth. It goes against everything the culture's saying right now. You're going to seem like the rebel. But you still have to stand. And you know what's sad? As, as this man is reading the Word of God, there was snickering, mocking, and outburst in the Congress while this man was speaking. Devil 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 that's satan at work mocking the word of god i know some of y'all probably came here tonight going well i don't i didn't know all that was going on you need to wake up you need to wake up the christians need to come out of their slumber and wake up and revelation 12 Charles says therefore rejoice o heavens and you uh, who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. Tick, tock. Tick, tock. That's what the devil knows right now. He's coming after your kids. He's coming after your marriages. He's mask up, do all the stuff that all this mess that's going on is to, to prepare for the one world system that's trying to come in. And if the church doesn't wake up, I mean, we have the power of God. We have the hand of God over us. We need to stand up. Just like that congressman stood up boldly and read God's Word. Even though he was being mocked and laughed at, he still did it. He still did it. Psalm 2, verses 1 and 2 says, Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth sit, uh, set themselves and rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed, saying, They stood against David, but not against David. They're standing against God. That's happening today. We have people being falsely accused because they're rebelling against the culture. You see people of God, of Christ, trying to do the work of the Lord and they have false accusations thrown at them. And the enemy loves to falsely accuse you. That's what he lives for. Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 15 says, A single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime, for any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed 
Only the evidence of two witnesses or three witnesses shall be charged or established. So we don't need to defend ourselves. God will. First Peter chapter 2, verse 23 says, when he, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. So we don't return evil for evil, but we do stand for God's truth. And sometimes that's going to put you in a very tough situation. And you have to understand when you do that, the enemy is going to come to oppose you. Let's finish up with chapter uh, verse 20 here. Uh, and it says in verse 20, it says, Then I replied to them, The God of heaven will make us prosper. See, he comes back and he doesn't go, Man, y'all go somewhere and go some get out of here, you know. He does what? He, he turns it right back to the Lord. He says, so he could have went, Sam Ballin, to buy a man. Y'all are knuckleheads. He didn't do that. What does he say? The God of the heaven will make us prosper. And we, his servants, will arise and build. But you have no portion, right, or claim in Jerusalem. So he had a godly response. This is why I know Nehemiah was a man of godly character, of integrity. He didn't respond back to the enemy. He didn't try to fight with the enemy. He stood firm in the faith. He didn't compromise. He's saying, hey, you know what? We're going to rebuild. And all these attacks that are happening, I'm not worried about it. I have the hand of God guiding us and helping us to make us strong. And if your faith is weak, you will not, you will not be strong. But he tells them, you have no legal right, no historical claim to Jerusalem. You can go. You can go. I have to tell you what, y'all need to pay attention to the elections in two years because there are some people that need to go. And I pray that we actually have some Christian men and women stand up to, to run for our state congress and run for our congress and senate and stand up for the Word of God. And for the, for the sin, the stench that's happening throughout this nation. Nehemiah didn't let the enemy join in. That's something to remember. He didn't say, hey, you know what? Y'all can do yoga at the church. It's cool. Right? Or uh, Let me partner up. And let me tell you this to make sure we get this from the very get-go. I will never partner up with any city event that has Jehovah Witness, Mormons, Muslims, or any other function. Why? Amos 3.3 Do not walk together unless they have agreed to meet. First thing real quick. We know that the Apostle Paul and the Apostle John warned about this. We need to be very careful. As we learn about Jesus this weekend and the resurrection, we need to understand that the Muslims believe that Jesus was just a prophet. Can't walk with them. Sorry. That he was just a good teacher. They believe that he was not crucified. Well, the Mormons believe that Jesus and Lucifer are brothers. Can't roll with that. Ain't happening. The JWs, the Jehovah Witness, they believe that Jesus was one of three gods. Jesus, little God. Uh, he was, the, the, was Michael the angel before he was the earthly Life became the Messiah. Can't roll with that. The Hindus believe that Jesus was just a holy man, a Hindu saint. I'm not partnering up with anything that, that has that with it. I, I'm just not going to do it. John 14, 16, and this is where the church runs into a lot of problems because they want to try to... I've seen this happen before and, they, and, and I've seen one of, the, one of the really major teachers of the word who's a really good teacher of the word apologized for being white and preaching the word and Vody, Vody Bachman I think is how you pronounce his last name but Vody actually said in there he goes don't you don't have to apologize for teaching the word but you need to repent for being woke see we need to watch out and not try to appease everybody we know that Jesus said in John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Opposition can reinforce God's work, not hinder it. 
And so as we close out this chapter, let's pray that, and, and let's close out in prayer. I'm sorry I got a little animated tonight. I apologize. It, it's a great chapter. Uh, but I love this. We're going to pray this verse in verse 20. Uh, Father God, we thank you so much for today. We thank you for your word. We do pray for our nation. We pray for our city. We pray for uh, the state of Texas. We pray for the children. I wish, I don't care if you call it a surge, you call it an influx, I don't care what you call it. Understand that there are kids, kids, that are being transported by the cartels, and that's wrong in itself. I don't care about all the other stuff. Lord, please, please, put a man of God on that wall. But get, 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 put it on someone's heart to do the right thing. To do the right thing. There are a lot of kids that are, are being molested. Uh, that uh, Some of them don't even know where their parents are at. It's, it's a mess. It's a mess. And we pray for our nation, Lord. We pray for our president. We pray for our Congress. We ask for forgiveness for what Jerry Nadler said. Because, Lord, we want your will in our Congress. We want your will in our United States. Don't let us forget that. Lord, we pray to the God of heaven that you'll make us prosper as a nation and that your servants will arise and build. Build communities. The problem is, is the church is not, we're not seeing healthy families. We're not seeing healthy marriages. Not even in the church. Strengthen those marriages. Strengthen those families that they would be beacons of light for divine, for Medina County, for Texas, for the United States. Lord, help us. We, we are sitting in the stench of sin. Forgive us as a nation for the abortion. Forgive us as a nation as we see these young kids putting out. We watch the Grammys just become pornographic mess on TV. And a young man, a Satanist, getting more attention than your word this week as you were resurrected, as you, as you go to the cross and you died for the sins of this world. Let us, not, let us not forget who you are, Jesus, as a nation. Forgive us. And Lord, I pray. I pray for all of us here, Lord, tonight. I pray for you that are watching online. I, I know that some of this is hard, but it's God's Word. It's God's Word. And, and we have to ask ourselves, are we going to be obedient to what God has given us through His Word, or are we going to be disobedient? We can't be on the fence. Let us stand firm, stand out in faith and truth and love and share your word and share who you are, Jesus. As we get ready for Easter, Lord, I pray and thank you just so much for today. I thank you for uh, just a wonderful evening of food and fellowship and just being able to be here in the word. We thank you so much and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, again, I apologize for getting animated every now and then I do. <laughs> So, uh, but it's a great chapter. Next week will be in chapter 3. This week will be Easter service at 10 a.m. We're going to be looking at the resurrection and what are the results of the resurrection. Like, what is it for us? What are we supposed to be doing as Christians? And, and if you don't know Christ, you know. And also, uh, just real quick, we're having communion. So if you're watching online or you're at home, Make sure you have either a cracker or bread and some juice because we will do communion. You can do it at the house if you like as you join us uh, for that. So thank you all so much for watching. And, uh, you know, praise God. And, and hopefully you find us on calvarydivine.org. Hopefully I didn't scare you tonight, but God bless you. And I hope you have a good evening. Thank you so much. That was Pastor Michael Petit from Calvary Divine, Texas. Remember, if you need to get more information on the church, you can do that at Calvary Divine. Dot org. God bless.